Almost. 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 Major. 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 Holy fucking shit, this is major! Uh, since we are talking about a uh, very indie uh, turn-of-the-century gay film, I just wanted to give everybody kind of a platform to talk about underseen queer films and what they like, what more people should check out. We know the Captain Obvious ones, but a lot of people haven't seen Chuck and Buck, or at least from the people that I follow on Letterboxd, so I would definitely recommend it, and we're going to get into that, but what are some other unseen gems that people should check out uh charlie yeah um there's a film by andre teshine named wild reads that's really underseen and the reason being it's very hard to access which is a bummer it was occasionally on movie and netflix but i don't think it's available right now uh it's in france in 1962 and basically the algerian war is coming to a close and this uh this uh teenager um uh, Francois basically has a girlfriend, but they haven't, but they're not like, you know, they're not really physically attracted to each other so much as they are best friends. And um, he also uh, has a new roommate who he starts to have feelings for. And there's also um, uh, an English teacher that's going through uh, certain uh, <laughs> event, uh, certain uh, shifts in terms of her emotional well-being. It's a result of the war. There's also someone who, uh, an exchange student who uh, grew up in um, Algeria and now is in France. And there's, so it's a very political film, but also very much, uh, very much about. I mean, it's all about teen angst, which, and, and, you know, figuring out your identity and by setting it within this specific time in France's history, it's, uh, it's, um, it's, it's just an incredible, uh, portrait of youth and, uh, all of the highs and lows that come with it, especially when, you know, with everything going on right now in our, uh, 2022 world with, uh, the world feeling like it's been on fire for two years, it's actually very cathartic for me to see, um, you know, uh, coming of age and coming to terms with, uh, sexual identity when this, in a part of the world that I, I mean, I've never been to France and I'm terrible with European history, so it feels both enlightening and also makes me feel seen very much so, so, Yeah. I don't know if I did a good job of summing that up, but you should check that one out. You have the poster of that, don't you? I do in my room. It's not like an authentic one. It's like, you know, um, what's the term? Uh, reprint? Reprint. It's a reprint. But So you're a fake fan? Okay, uh, write in yeah. one of your choices. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean that that's a market that I would not want to be in. Like, cool, it would be awesome to have an original poster, but it's like are you doing that for you or to be like look at this an original poster and they're just like yeah it's great uh uh, don't really care um (laughs) but uh bryden do you have some uh picks yeah um i looked at i have a list of like underseen movies according to like what's seen on letterboxd um one movie i think maybe this is a good movie to talk about especially because i'm canadian uh this is a french canadian movie called genesis uh jeunesse is its uh, french title oh yeah by philippe visage um it's uh it's about um two different characters in the movie a brother and sister i think they might be step siblings in the movie um because i think like they have like their parents like uh like are going through like their second marriages but the the primary uh story of like uh the queer coming of age 
follows this uh, this young student at a prep school, a guy played by uh, this really good actor, Theodore Pellerin, who's been in a couple of American movies, like um, uh, There's Someone Inside Your House, the Netflix slasher that came out last fall. He was in Never Rarely, Sometimes Always, and Boy Erased. Um, yeah, yeah. He, he plays a guy who's like, uh, you know, pretty popular and charismatic, and he's always hanging out with his one best friend, but then he starts to like realize he might have some feelings for his best friend, and the... The, the sort of heartbreaking part of the movie is like he tries to like show his feelings for his friend after like a drunken night out and his friend doesn't reciprocate and there's this incredible uh classroom monologue where they're back at school and they have to uh give a, a presentation for their english class in english because they pr primarily speak french in this uh, quebec school and uh it's a really moving scene for how pellerin is expressing himself in a language his character is expressing himself in a language that he's not f entirely familiar with and it sort of like mirrors how he's like going through these unfamiliar emotions and the way he sort of like oscillates between like, you know, like this very like goofy sort of like jokey charisma where he's like saying, Oh, I'm going to tell you about a very nice guy. And then like, he becomes like gradually more sincere and like starts like slowing down as he like tries to like find the words to like, come up with his feelings and anything. And then, like, the scene has, like, a very realistic ending where, like, the friend, like, leaves the class and then uh, the teacher is just sort of like, okay, so anyone else want to present? It's just, like, it's it's a very tender and uh, sincere moment, but, like, it is, like, very realistic how, like, the, the follow just kind of awkward and I won't I won't give away much more of, like, what happens in the rest of that movie, but uh, that, that thread, the thread of the movie uh, I think really gets to the heart of... Um, sort of queer longing uh with that character it's, it's a beautiful film I, I think it's available on some streaming services so if anyone wants to check out i would highly recommend it i had a couple good cries during that movie because i was it like says oh. it's on, yeah it says it's on tubi so you can watch it for free it it there are some moments it's actually all the ones you just mentioned where i was just like oh my god i feel so seen and also devastated because yeah. this is like I dealt with so much of the stuff that Theodore Pellerin, you know, not in the same ways, of course, but that that sense of longing and that loneliness that he has. Because what I love about it, too, is he's like not an unpopular kid. He's actually Ooh. kind of an asshole most of the time, too. And uh, he actually got my best, my number one vote for actor that year. Um, and I'm pretty sure I'm the only one who'd seen that movie. So it wasn't going to go anywhere. Damn. For my money, that was the best performance of, I think in the U.S. it came out in 2019. So, yeah. I think I had Adam Sandler and Antonio Banderas below them for Uncut Gems and um, uh, Pain and Glory. Pain and Glory, yeah. But yeah, seconding Brighton's recommendation, it's a great film. Yeah, I'm. I'll go with a short and a film. Uh, you know, I wouldn't say Kinder Thinger is underseen, but um, just you could watch all of his. He only has ever done shorts. You can watch pretty much all of his shorts in like an hour and a half and two hours, but. Scorpio Rising is just phenomenal, and it's one of my favorite things about any movie is if they use a needle drop correctly, and then every time I listen to that song, I think of the movie, and it makes me love the movie more, and vice versa. Recently, with Teton, that happened really well, um, but watch like all of his shorts in like an hour and a half, and they are just off the wall, just amazing stuff, and then uh, for movies, uh, I... I I, I would think that uh, people have seen Gregor Rocky movies, but being that I've been trying to buy all of his movies, like only Mysterious Skin and I think White Bird and a Blizzard are available past DVD. 
Yeah. And all the DVDs are way out of print, so it's like, I, I know Criterion put a few of his movies up on the channel, like, last year or two years ago, mm-hmm. but it's like, those need a Blu-ray release, like like no other like all of his all of his movies like even if i'm not the biggest fan of him i still like them because he does stuff that nobody else did around that time and also it's just for like the apocalypse trilogy it's just like peak 90s just gonzo shit just wild stuff like doom generation doesn't work a lot of the times but it's so much fun like so much stuff is going on it's 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 a blast to watch so yeah just watch any rocky movie you can see it's, i don't even it's think a lot nowhere of has a dvd hmm. i don't it think doesn't. it ever came out on dvd and that sucks because that's one of my favorites of his yeah i i looked that up on ebay and it was like a one where people live pretty much printing it on demand type of thing but yeah i don't think official release maybe overseas but yeah and doom generation is long out of print that's like 50 dollars online i'm just like god damn uh i i i assume his stuff isn't like caught up in rights or anything if criterion can get a majority of them so i hope yeah a box set from like arrow or criterion would be awesome but it's just, it just, I'm a big fan of, like, the new queer cinema people from, like, the early 90s, like, Todd Haynes and him and stuff like that. Um, yeah. I need to see, like, Swoon. I really want to see Swoon. That's on the Criterion channel. I need to watch that. Um, but, yeah, like, of course anything 90s I'm going to be down for. I just recently watched his MTV pilot that didn't get picked up oh, yeah. that I think was filmed in, like, 99 or 2000, and... Man, there's like 30 needle drops and they all rule because he's like the best with putting music in. And it like it it kind of it's it's not one of those it's like, "Oh man, what could have they done with this?" It's like just one episode that like works as a short film because it's mm. just bonkers. Yeah. And it, yeah, but yeah. Uh Gavin, do you have any uh choices? Um I mean, seconding all of those except for the ones I haven't seen, which I won't tell you what they are. <laughs> okay. Uh, but <laughs> Um, the one that immediately popped into my brain was, uh, Derek Jarman's Edward II from 91. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, love Derek Jarman. Speaking of new queer cinema and, and his postmodern style, it's an adaptation of the Christopher Marlowe play. Um, Edward II, who has a lover, appears Gaveston and a wife played by Tilda Swinton, who is, um, I'm trying to think of the right word. She just hates that her husband has a gay lover and is mm-hmm. gay mm-hmm. and uh the the tension there and the war and you know the he does all of the um edward's army as gay rights protesters and it's it's a very veritable mix of things it's a you know it actually says it's 91 but there's a lot of medieval styling annie lennox pops up Ooh. at one point to do um cole porter's every time we say goodbye like it's it's just a feast for the eyes and all the senses and it's unfortunate that we didn't get more films from him um very appreciative of the ones that we have even the ones that are just basically collages are so much fun it also did recently get a pretty awesome uh i don't know if it's a 4k transfer but it is a blu-ray it came out a couple years ago which i have and who put that out i'm forgetting but i own it I can run to my room and grab it. If no, you want me to know. I think I think I think Bryden is doing the research for us. He's like, I got it. Um, yeah, I saw that they put that up on the Criterion Channel for the Sundance '92 entries, and I was like, oh, I'm not not the biggest fan of like 
you know costume dramas or whatever but i was like this oh, is this very is... much not <laughs> right right because yeah. right around this time i also watched orlando and i was just like uh costume drama. okay and then by the end of it i was like okay um that was a lot different and it fucking ruled so <laughs> um it looks like film movement might have put it out in 2018 yeah yeah oh uh, okay according to blu-ray.com okay. so you know take that with a grain of salt but uh you know hopefully that <laughs> that website's accurate but yeah I, I spend way too much time on there. Um, oh, uh, check out Nightmare on Elm Street 2. There you go. Ooh. Always. Yes. <laughs> I actually haven't seen that movie since I was in the closet, which I thought it was terrible. And now I'm sure if I oh, rewatch it, I'm re-watch sure I will it. love it now. Yeah. <laughs> For a second there, I was worried that you were saying you hadn't seen it at all. And I was like, oh, oh no, no. <laughs> uh, yeah. And watch the documentary about it, which is also really good. Yeah, because they yeah. they outed him, right? The main actor. Didn't oh. they like kind of out him and they kind of like morphed it into a queer movie once they kind of... No, 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 no. Okay, no. maybe it, I'm wrong. It, it was like... <laughs> no, 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 no. It, that's, that's not a... I've heard people say that. It's not like a completely wrong take or anything. It's... Uh, I think it was more so just like he got outed by the media type thing. Gotcha. Like afterwards. And then, you know, it, it, it had this cycle of like when it first came out, they were like oh they made this like so gay and then now it's just like oh this is great this is you know you know the initial reaction was a very negative one and now it's a positive yeah my favorite thing too is i I was very much an early dvd adopter and so when the first nightmare on elm street box Box set probably still back there um came out i devoured all the special features and i distinctly remember the director being like oh yeah like everybody was everybody was like oh there's all this gay subtext and of course we didn't know at the time and blah 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 and then by the time you get to the documentary about that came out a couple years ago he's like oh yeah we were totally it was also Uh it's like whatever buddy it's like (laughs) yeah because i remember the actor like accusing him of being like yeah Yeah, he confronts him you never like through all these decades or the few decades has been out like i've been saying this and you're just like no that was never the point it's like you know how much harm that did to me and he's like this like 70 year old guy that's just like fuck i don't know i don't remember (laughs) (laughs) he's like i don't know bondage in the gym with the teacher whatever oh yeah don't they like towel whip him in the ass to death or something (laughs) yeah (laughs) my my favorite continuity (laughs) error in any movie comes in that scene and i know that's not what this podcast is about please there is a when the all the stuff's coming off the wall and assaulting him, there's a scene where you watch a basketball fly off a wall and then a volleyball hit him and then a basketball <laughs> bounce away in a series of three cuts. And so it's just basketball, volleyball, basketball. And it's like, I don't know, I guess volleyballs are softer. I don't know like what the thought process was. Not but, much, but sure. Yeah. <laughs> but they're also very different looking. Yes. Yeah, I'm sure by the second cut when they were just like, yeah, we used a volleyball. And then somebody was just like, what is this basketball doing here? And they're just like, they're oh, like, we uh, used a basketball. That's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> just uh, match action it in. We'll yeah, good. yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Almost Major. We are a podcast talking about the mini major studios and the films they release. We are about halfway through our quest of Artisan. 
I'm very sad to see it go, but I'm happy for our next miniseries. But we are doing an episode on today on Chuck and Buck from 2000. My name is Kevin Tudor. I'm here with Charlie Nash. Hello. And Brighton Doyle. Hey. And this week we have a special, special, special guest. I love his podcast so much. It is Gavin from The Mixed Reviews. How are you? I'm good. Hello. Thank you for having me on. I like that I, I always do this. I always wave. I know a podcast is not a visual medium. I just do it. <laughs> we have the the description. What What is it called? Like whenever you're watching something, you can turn it on where it describes to you. And text. it's like, Gavin is yeah. waving. Yeah. <laughs> put it, I'll put it in post. But uh, yeah, um, I, like I said, I'm a huge fan of your podcast. I like I, a few weeks ago before I even yeah probably about a few weeks ago i went to like your first few episodes that were like really really short and i was used yeah. to i was used to the original ones and then i eventually got to the point where you guys started to like really break down the career and i was like that's that's the good shit right there and it's just like be- being able to see the podcast grow really made me happy yeah it started as a very different show um it was an idea that my co-host louis who was supposed to be here tonight and unfortunately couldn't make it uh but he he was going to he like came up with this idea with me because I'd had all this previous podcasting experience. And the more that like I do all the posts on it, the more I was like, Oh, well we can really like pump this full of information. Cause I love yes, information. Yeah. I'm a very nerdy. So I, the more I can learn about things, the the more complete, I guess I feel as a human being. And so that's really the, the thesis now is that every episode we try and put as much history as we possibly can and we have opinions along the way we don't always agree on all the films because there are some stinkers in a lot of people's careers there's a lot of weird choices in a lot of people's careers my my favorite thing is to i'll just be looking for movies and it'll be like movie that nobody has seen on letterbox and i see you've seen it and you've given like a star and i'm just like i'm gonna add it to my watch list sounds great (laughs) sounds great and i i look at the people and i was like oh he definitely had to cover that unfortunately I do believe I need to ambush you about uh, the, the the new metal hate that is on your episodes. Um, as a as a fifteen year old boy at heart who always hates his parents, I just really feel you know just we we get looked down a lot. You know, I mean, just we need we, you need to recognize what Fred Durst has done for our culture. That's all I'm saying. I so when we say those words. Do you feel them crawling in your skin? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. There's wounds they cannot heal. I was like Googling the lyrics real quick. I'm like, fuck, what are the words? <laughs> Lincoln Park. <laughs> I didn't listen to that album in full last week. <laughs> I'm a grown man. <laughs> I listened to Pitchfork things, you know, you know, respectful things. I don't. That's okay. Last week I revisited uh, Beck's Midnight Vultures. So that's a great album. It, yeah, that's a great album. Oh, it's album. my favorite. It's yeah. my favorite Beck album. So um, I know he's done much more meaningful stuff. Everybody always tells me when they're like, oh, yeah, Sea Change. And I'm like, yeah, Sea Change is great. But you know what? I want to I want to hear about Midnight Vultures. I want to hear about all the sex freaks. Yeah, I want to <laughs> hear an album that has variation. Like Sea Change is great, but it's just 50 minutes of Sad Boy. I want to hear some beats. I want to yeah. hear Sex Laws, man. Come on. <laughs> Have you seen Six Feet Under, Gavin? Yeah. yeah i just remember that episode where like peter krauss is like odelay by beck and then like he has a vision of lisa <laughs> being like you're gonna throw our child's future away for fucking beck i don't know why that <laughs> <in my> head. <laughs> uh, yeah that's me that's basically me 
Yeah. Um, I'm not seeing corn at the end of this month. Just letting you know that's not happening whatsoever. Um, anyways, uh, we're here to talk about uh, Chuck and Buck, which unfortunately does not have a new metal soundtrack. Um, Nor it, does they... it feature music by any of the bands we just mentioned. Yeah. I know. Are you suggesting They Might Be Giants is not new metal? <laughs> uh, they seem like a band that would just like you remember the new metal song they might be giants did yeah um chuck and buck premiered at sundance january 2000 it had a limited release in the u.s july 14th 2000 and it came in at number 42 in seven theaters uh the widest it went was 46 theaters top five that week was x-men scary movie the perfect storm the patriot and the kid Huh. Oh my god, I forgot about Disney's The Kid. <laughs> we all did. Um, yeah. That was a, it. Was it that it's titled Disney's The Kid? Yeah. I, yes. Correct. Because yes. like there's the Charlie Chaplin movie The Kid. Was that like to, to like avoid confusion? Is that maybe? One? Yeah. I. I, <laughs> I, I a so. lot of a lot of people were just like, oh shit, the new they restored Charlie Chaplin's The Kid, and they were just like, why the fuck is Bruce Willis in this? Yeah. <laughs> Everybody at my Chaplin convention that month was very upset. <laughs> It was just not a good thing. One of the most adorable things I've ever seen was I went and saw a double feature of City Lights and The Circus at the Brattle Theater in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And there were a lot of children there. And there was one kid who did the tramp walk walking. Oh, my God. And my heart nearly melted. (laughs) I was just like, there is hope for a generation, the upcoming generation to be in love with cinema, not just, you know, Marvel bullshit. Sorry. if that. Oh, he learned it from Benny and June. Yeah, that's true. He was he was a big uh, early dep head. Yeah. Um, Something new that I would like to insert now on is the top song the week that this was released. And number one in the U.S. was Everything You Want by Vertical Horizon. And the number one song in Canada was It's Gonna Be Me by NSYNC. So Canada wins once again. For, for whatever reason, I assumed it was going to be the, like the Space Between by Dave Matthews Band. Wasn't that around the same time? Like, Probably, I yeah. I heard that song growing up so many times. So many times. Same, same. We did talk about Dave Matthews Band a few episodes ago about the Matrix soundtrack. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, we did. Weird. Um, the budget for this was $250,000. Domestically, it grossed $1 million, and overall, it grossed $1.1 million. Um, for the you know, quick plots uh, synopsis, uh, Chuck and Buck is a story of a childlike young man who becomes fixated on his one-time best friend, now a cool, polished, young record executive. I didn't write this. Charting the collision of two individuals, once inseparable, who have responded in opposite ways to the onset of adulthood, the film takes a clear-eyed, sensitive look at childhood and the consequence of hanging on to too tightly or renouncing it too thoroughly. Sure. Um, directed by Miguel Arteta. This is his second film. First being a film called Star Maps, which uh, Mike White is also in. After this, he does The Good Girl, also with Mike White writing it in 2002. Youth and Revolt in 2009. He has done episodes of Succession, Enlightened, and Six Feet Under. uh, Written by Mike White. Prior to this, he wrote Dead Man on Campus in 1998. I need to watch that again. That's a that's a Comedy Central fave right there. He's like one of like a few writers I think who's credited on that. So like who wonders uh, like uh, how ma- how much like his original vision is like and you know kept in the final cut of that movie. But yeah, he's one of the credited right. writers. Okay. The uh, soundtrack to Dead Man on Campus. Speaking of music, is amazing. It rules. Even though most of the artists on that are now canceled, but <laughs> at the time. Very I, good. I until as of recently was a lifelong Marilyn Manson fan, and his cover of "Golden Years" 
by David Bowie is really fucking good. I'm, Unfortunately. I'm a huge David Bowie fan, and I think it is a very good cover. I think the highlight of that album is actually uh, the cover of I Only Want to Be With You uh, with Twiggy Ramirez on the on guitar and Twiggy, the supermodel, singing the lyrics. It's Twiggy and Twiggy. What? How do I not He's have... He's also canceled, though. So that's... Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Take it with the, yeah. Yeah, that was first, and everybody was just like, wow, Marilyn Manson denounced this guy. What a stand-up guy. One year later. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I need to get that soundtrack and the Spawn soundtrack on CD. Anyways, uh, he uh, Mike White also wrote on Dawson's Creek and Freaks and Geeks after he wrote uh orange county which i just recently rewatched, and it fucking rules it's so good he's so funny I mean, as the english teacher talking about the shakespeare adaptations you know yeah. romeo and juliet chocola water world <laughs> Ta- talented mr ripley gladiator chocolat yeah like i like i said he wrote the good girl 2002 school of rock in 2003 and created the tv series enlightened and the white lotus which i need to watch starring Mike White as Buck, small roles, and most of his stuff he's written. Not really a. This is pretty much his feature acting movie. Uh, like I said, he's in Orange County and School of Rock and stuff like that. Chris White's as Chuck. Prior to this, he directed American Pie in 1999. Afterwards, he directs Down to Earth in 2001, About a Boy in 2002, Twilight, A New Moon in 2009. Doesn't do much acting. Also, I think he wrote Rogue One. Like, this guy is the wildest career it's like again that's another case of like i think he's like one of several writers credited right because that that movie went through the shit yeah it's funny too that his uh the first thing next to his uh picture in imdb is a trailer for chuck and buck Hmm. which i just noticed maybe it's because i clicked on it from the chuck and buck's page and maybe that's why it popped up but very Hmm. strange because huh. I feel like, you know, I had seen this movie before and I completely forgot it was Chris White's as as uh, Chuck. So, Right, and I think his his brother is also in it. Yeah, yeah his brother plays the actor. Who's playing his like counterpart in the play, which is really funny casting when you think about it. Um, oh, yeah. okay. That guy, the, that guy's amazing. <laughs> he's so funny in this. Yeah. There's a weird bit of Hollywood trivia and it has nothing to do with this movie, but um, their, their like grandmother... I want to say, I'm, I'm not sure which side of their family it's on, but their grandmother was Lupita Tovar, who is uh, Mina Harker in the Spanish Dracula from mm. the 30s. Wow. And they're actually making a movie about her. Oh, what? And, but like, I, I never would have known that Lupita Tovar is their grandmother because they are very white looking men. So, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just the, just the, I know I brought this up on a previous podcast, but the fact that they made American Pie and then just made nothing like that ever again, it was just like, it was almost like how directors get into horror to start their career and then they're just like, no, 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 we're serious now. I'm, I'm just imagining him reading the Golden Compass on the set of American Pie and it's just like, <laughs> it's calling like, to me. One day I'm going to do good stuff. Lupe Antiveros as Beverly. Prior to this, she's in Selena and As Good As It Gets in 1997. After this, she's in a story telling from 2001 and real women have curves in 2002 storytelling is a wild ass movie uh, oh man that movie I, I i mean i like todd salons but that movie whoo i don't know how it would hold up today <laughs> yeah i've not i've literally not watched it since college but i think i loved it in college which oh, might make say, I, say terrible things about I, me. I did love it in college too but now i'm thinking back on it and i'm like oh it's oh, a I weird don't know. movie where it's like 
kind of an anthology, but really it's just a two-parter, and the second part yeah. is, like, much longer than the first part. It's the really first part odd. is, like, 25 minutes, and then the second part's, like, an hour. Like <laughs> yeah. all- it, was, it was supposed to, like, famously, it was supposed to be three stories, and um, uh, James Vanderbeek was cast in it, and he was going to be playing, a, That's right. think, like, a gay college student. That's right. It was going to be really graphic, and I, d- I don't know the particulars, and I'm sure people come here for conjecture, so I don't know the particulars <laughs> if they shot any of it or if they got probably just ran out of money. Sh- yeah. yeah, but they they just cut it that entire story out. I'd always heard it was pressure from because he was still on Dawson's Creek at the time, and so it was like pressure from like his image about not wanting to play a gay character. Mm. But then maybe you know, maybe. Or they got the dailies from the first story, and they were just like, "You can't keep doing this shit." Like, <laughs> and we're like, "We're cutting you off." What the fuck? They're like, we knew you were. You can't be in this, but in the same year, you got to play yourself in Jane Silent Bob Strike Back. That's fine. Um, Beth Colt is Carlin. Uh, prior to this, Carolyn, Carlin. It can't be Carlin. What the fuck? Yeah, I think it is Carlin. I think Carlin. Yeah, it is. I, I thought yeah. it was Carla, but it's actually Carlin. Um, okay. Okay. Uh, prior to this, she was in Star Maps. Um, and nothing after this. Uh, I didn't really research her, but I mean, it was in this and I think she was really good, but I was going to say, I forgot how good she is. Cause I had not seen this movie in a long time and I watched it. And I think that's a really hard character to navigate. And I know you haven't even gotten to the plot description yet. That will not in like an in-depth sort of way, mm-hmm. but she's a character that could easily slide into the sort of trope of the, the nagging, nagging wife yeah yeah and they do a really good job of fleshing her out and making her like i i forgot how sort of heartbreaking it is when she finally confronts buck and she's and he's like we did stuff as a kid and she's like i know all about that unfazed and he's kind of like ugh, like i no longer have the upper hand right like, <laughs> like right. he thought that that was his like one bargaining chip that would like make her go away and she's kind of like yeah whatever kids i don't know what do you want from me he's like it's, it's v- this very has well been handled. my whole life what are you doing <laughs> yeah um my rudolph is actually in this i completely forgot that as jamila prior to this uh she's in gattaca and as good as it gets also in 1997 uh snl cast member from 1999 to 2007 after this uh pretty much any movie that stars an snl cast member she's in it and she's always good in it uh recently was in licorice pizza and Booksmart. uh trivia there's really only one thing. Mike White's performance as Buck is Jeff Bridges' most favorite acting performance of the 2000s. I would like to find this interview where this just, <laughs> where they're just like, he's just like, have you ever seen Chuck and Buck? It's really funny. It, it's, it's a New York <laughs> Times, I think, video where it's like black and every actor is like filmed in black and white. And it, like Jeff Bridges says that uh, Morgan Freeman talks about Meryl Streep. And uh, I think like... Sam, Wor- <laughs> Sam Worthington talks about, like, Eddie Murphy. Anytime he has to play multiple characters, you know, just have to do that. That's my favorite performance. You haven't seen Norbit. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> I First of all, just the fact that Sam Worthington's name got brought up. He's smiling somewhere. Oh, the late 2000s. Um. What a time. Uh, yeah. Oh, are we, sorry, are we talking about the uh, New York Times video? Uh, yep. yeah. <laughs> yeah, I watched that. <laughs> Yeah, I did love that. Um, was it Zoe Saldana gave a shout out to um, Tai Wai? Uh, shit, I'm forgetting her name, and I feel terrible. But the main actress of um, Lust Caution, I thought, was right. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm sorry. Just and what a good performance. You know what? Zoe Saldana's right. Yeah, that was the most inspired pick out of all of them, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, Tang Wai. I I think that's how you pronounce her name. 
apologies if I'm butchering it. But yeah. Yeah, my uh, favorite performance of the 2010s is Zoe Saldana and uh, Columbiana. Gosh. You can't say that I'm wrong or right because uh, none of you have seen it. Uh, yes, I have. I have it existed. Um, you have? Yeah, I was oh going to say goodness. I've seen it. Buddy, I own it on DVD. <laughs> or not I own it on DVD, but we got it from like my dad's birthday one year. I think he probably fell asleep while watching it. But... Is that the movie where in the trailer where they say, never forget where you came from, like three times or something? <laughs> <laughs> Bryden, is that a basement DVD? It's got to be. Oh, for sure. That's where all the DVDs are. <laughs> We're going to do a Patreon series, and it's just going to be... I don't know what movie we're doing this week. Brian is just going to go find a DVD. <laughs> um, side, note, do, side note, do you have like a box of DVDs in your basement where you're like, well, I'm keeping this, but I'm not displaying it for everyone, because I definitely have a box like that <laughs> in my basement where I'm just like, yeah, I own this at one point. I have no urge to let people know it's in my possession or in my home. Like, I didn't. I don't have that. Maybe I should think about it, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, what? What is it? Is it, like, really sexual? It's like, no, I just don't want people to know I own a yeah. big daddy. You uh, know? It's, yeah. it's actually... It's actually, if you saw the contents of this box, you would think I'm not sexual ever again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, for the DVD of Chuck and Buck, it has a really fancy booklet, which... Remember when movies like Chuck and Buck, which made no movie, just has commentary, no money. special features, has a nice booklet, you know, when people actually cared about things with home video. Anyways, um, the little uh, few paragraphs on here are really interesting. It says, uh, Chuck and Buck is one of the few DV projects for Blow Up Pictures, the digital production company founded by Open City's Jason Collette and Joanna Vicente DV, unlike traditional film, offers many creative possibilities to filmmakers with vision with a limited budget. Director Miguel Miguel Arteta explained, I saw the film The Celebration, which is the Dogma 95 movie, I presume. Yes. And that was the movie that convinced me that digital video was a great format to tell dramatic stories, stories that work because you're allowed into the most intimate parts of a character's life. Uh, he reported that the digital enabled him to concentrate on the actor's performances to a greater degree than traditional 35mm cameras would allow. We did a lot of rehearsals while shooting. Almost always, I shot the rehearsals after we blocked the scene. Because it was tape, we had the luxury to see what would happen. We were also able to shoot with two cameras, which allowed us to capture the interaction between the actors in real time. He added that because DV also lends itself to quicker shooting and hence shorter interruptions, that intimacy could be maintained. The cinematographer that worked with Arteta to understand the character's emotions, something Chavez said DV does beautifully. Chavez, the cinematographer, accommodated because it is so little, we were able to put the camera places that would be more difficult for a regular camera. For instance, we were able to shoot in a very, very small bathroom. That is a small-ass bathroom they shoot in. Uh, we could put it right in the corner on a tripod with much less rigging time, something we could have never done with a conventional camera. We still used all of our usual film tools, uh, dolly tracks, lights, even a steady but the camera was so small it was much less noticeable than a big one would have been and also um i saw in an in interview from the time on indiewire in the 2000s of mega Ar miguel arteta uh, he was pretty much saying that um because i watched the trailer for this on the dvd and it like looked like a digital film like it was it looks like almost sped up and you know how digital film looked like back then but apparently they took the digital film put it on or took the digital file put it on film and then that is what the dvd is so it like looks a little yeah. bit nicer because when you look at the trailer it like looks so much cleaner and mm. all of that that was a pretty common practice for that time i 
I'm slightly older than all of you. And so I was in film school from 2002 to 2006. And so this was when we were convinced by our teachers that this was what film was going to look like, that this was the future film. I, uh, we recently did an Olivia Newton-John episode and she's in this, uh, another gay movie that is, um, not a movie called another gay movie though I'm sure there is one at this point. <laughs> uh-huh. But uh, she's in um, Sorted Lives, and Sorted Lives is sh- shot in the same uh, style. And yeah, we like we were basically told by a lot of our instructors that this was what the future of film was going to be. This was what everything was going to look like, and this when we were making movies that everything was going to be this. And so it's always interesting to look back at this period and see these films that don't quite look quite right because they're shot on these very inexpensive prosumer dv cameras uh and being like like this weird nostalgia for a future that didn't happen because the technology Mm -hmm. was always going to catch up and i don't know why our instructors wasted time trying to convince us of something that that was clearly never going to be the case especially since as you said you know a lot of the times people would make these films on dv and then still transfer them to film after they'd completed the post-production process Mm -hmm. so it, it, it in the end the film was just never really going to go away it was just going to eventually evolve out mm-hmm. which is funny because i've seen a 35 print of a party monster which was also shot on video oh, and wow. it's just like absolutely That's it's just like one. it's just like the fact that it was put on film and it looks it looked great you know but um i i do believe that movie i haven't seen it in a while i do enjoy it but like i think the dvd is just the digital file so it like and I like that Chuck yeah. and Buck has the film look and it doesn't look too digital because digital around that time just looked like soap opery almost. It just had a, it was like a At little worse, bit. I, I, yeah. It was just I like a little too worse. fast. Yeah. It, it, yeah. I watched the trailer and I was just like, this looks odd. And not just because I watched the movie, but I was just like, it looks, it looks too real. Like, I don't like it. <laughs> hey, buddy, it's Charlie calling you back. Uh, listen, you know, What the hell? What are you doing in LA? I've moved here. And you're friends with Charlie? We oh, yeah, best friends. I think we should play a game. I'm here to see Chuck Sitter. Hello, is Charlie there? I'm sorry, he's not in. I'll have him call you, okay? What's your name? What? What's your name? No. No. <laughs> There's something funny about you. You're funny, huh? I think you have something weird about women. I think you have something weird about men. Buck, I'm worried about you. You need to let go. You have to create something new. I was here way before you. Look, don't call. Don't call me at home. Don't call me at the office. Just stay away. Get out now. Let's get into initial thoughts. Charlie? I had seen this movie before about five years ago and rewatched it this week and i just like i did the first time i really dug it um i think it hits some very uh <laughs> it hits me in a few sensitive places in terms of my own queer identity because i think it does a great job of showing how uh buck who is obviously like 
emotionally uh, <laughs> uh, stunted and psychologically stunted by his, uh, by just like, by not necessarily, it's, it's funny how he's never really like in the closet, never really says like he is, you know, ashamed of himself but it's clear that it is stunting him in terms of personal growth which mm-hmm. i can relate to because i remember being in the closet in high school and feeling like i had gotten all my teen angst out of the way and some somehow had like three girlfriends i don't know why probably because i was a sad kid and then i was just like oh this person likes me so i was just like but then i remember my first breakup with a man when i was in college and it made me so heart sick like to mm-hmm. a ridiculously unhealthy extent and there's so much in this film about that examines how you know being uh feeling sh- ashamed of your sexual identity can stunt you in this way in terms of what not not just in terms of like your how you're able to create intimate relationships but also in terms of like how you view yourself because he's so clearly just still just holding on to this childhood uh, memory of him and Chuck when they were younger and, you know, the intimate experience they had. Um, and what I like about it is it it is a very uncomfortable movie, but very funny because it's never excusing or mocking his pain. It's just making... It, it, it allows you to feel sympathetic while also being like, whoa, that's a boundary that should not be crossed and that is not okay. But it's also never excusing. Like the, the way that everyone interacts with him is how everyone would react. All of these fake invitations and like weirdly passive aggressive, like they want to be mean, but they don't want to be too mean and they want to be mm-hmm. polite and stuff like that. Um, I, I think it's all a really daring look at, you know, queerness. Cause uh, I believe Mike White is bisexual in real life. Yeah. And I feel like this is him coming. This is probably, was probably very therapeutic to write and star in this film that has him coming to terms with his own identity. And it's, you know, not, not a movie for everyone. If you're looking for something like comforting, I would stay far away because it's a very prickly film, but it's a film mm-hmm. that it, at least to me, uh, it feels very cathartic in how it examines um, discomfort uh, when it comes to, uh, you know, figuring out who you are. So might be a little more <laughs> personal take for me and not mm-hmm. really into the um, technical aspects of the film, which I'll get into. But yeah, I, I think it's I think it's a, certainly a time capsule because of that as we've discussed the dv quality but i think it's a fascinating one and i still think it holds up in 2022 so yeah 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 um re this which i hadn't seen in, since like middle school so it's been a while um and i remember seeing the dvd cover at hastings all the time and being like is this like a horror movie because like the tagline is like remember those games you used to play and he's in like a dark theater i was just like this man's killing somebody. This is going to be radical. And then I watched it and I was just like, <laughs> Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, on my rewatch, I was, I was very, very curious. Like, cause it starts out and I was like, are they going to I Am I misremembering this? But like, do they try to make them out to be like a creepy gay guy type of thing? And I was watching it to make sure, but it's just like, it has nothing to do with that. Cause nobody knows that besides Chuck. So, 
but I was definitely on edge of that and being like, oh, are they going to make him like the creepy predatory guy or anything like that? And that, that went away after a while, but, um, yeah, I don't remember my reaction when I watched it back in the day. I don't remember if I liked it or disliked it because it's been so long ago. I do remember one of the best line readings of all time, which we'll get to. Um, but yeah, I really like it. I really like just how involved we are in his world and also just like how regressed he has been because of this and how that counters with Chuck's life, who is like, it's the... It, it's the Don Draper thing of I don't think about you at all type thing where it's just like I have not been able to not only just like process this healthily because I'm stuck as a 10 year old whatever um, to the point where it's just like he likes hanging out with little kids that are going to be in his play until they almost blow off their hand and that scene also I was just like did I forget is he like do something and it's like no it's just like it's it, it it can like like charlie was saying it can go from awkward to like what's gonna happen i'm really unsure and it's just like no it's just like awkward man child type thing and really get into that and just how the uneasiness of like the most like awkward part is when he goes to chuck's party and just like trying to mingle with people and he's just like he literally can't talk to people <laughs> i really like, want to talk to chuck but thank you for talking to me yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that stream of consciousness dialogue where it's just like there's no filter to this guy and he's just yeah, like, so, yeah. like the narrow-mindedness is like so funny where he's just like a man on a mission it's it's so funny yeah yeah um there's the there's a great line where he goes to uh chuck's office and he was just like what floor is he on and it was just like oh uh, i got somebody uh trying to meet you what's your name he just goes no walks away like the fuck and that that i like that scene too because it's clear that he knows he's like pushing boundaries and right. skating on thin ice it's not like he is totally unaware of how awkward and how uh yeah how he knows he's pushing boundaries at all times, even if he pretends not to, because he's just so heartsick over this man. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, I really liked it. I, f from the, the DV of it all, even though it's, you know, I'm seeing it as it's transferred to film, it definitely just feels much more lived in. And I don't know if you would call this like a prototypical mumblecore film. I think it's a little bit more than that, but I mean, it does, it has, yeah. you know, I would, I would see how a Mark Duplass would watch this and be like, I want to do that, but with less dialogue. Um, but I, yeah, I just really loved That's everything. You said it, I didn't. Um, but I, yeah, I just really <laughs> love the, the intimacy that, that borders on very uncomfortable and it feels like you should, like I want to go to another character. I'm tired tired of looking at him too too realistic, you know, type thing. Um, but it's just so great how Mike White at the very start can start from just being very awkward man child to at the end just be like really sad and you feel for him. And we'll 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 get to all of that. But yeah, I I really dug it. Really dug it. I want to watch. Has anybody seen The Good Girl? Yes. Their next movie I, together? Uh, I have. Uh, I saw it a very long time ago in high school. I remember, I think, I remember, like, bits and pieces of it more than I do, like, the whole movie. Uh, really okay. good supporting performance from uh, Zoe Deschanel. It's, like, the cashier who, like, just hates her life and is, like, you know, 
like when she's like handing out groceries she's like all right here's your change i'd fuck you very much and then, like, <laughs> <laughs> the only thing i remember this is a weird memory i've never seen it um i'm probably gonna watch it later on i've tried to watch it before this but uh i remember growing up i would uh before school i would watch a little bit of tv and there was a channel that would just show movies that were going to be on direct tv so it would be like a 30 second tv spot and i just remember seeing the tv spot for that just over and over of Gen- jennifer aniston being like uh, asking him about catcher in the rye and whatnot so that's the only the only thing i know but i'm i'm looking forward to watching that but uh uh gavin as our guest your thoughts um i mean I, I think everything Charlie said was really beautiful. And I agree. I think there is something as a queer individual watching it, something very personal that you tap into. I, you know, it's 96 minutes and I think it's kind of the perfect running time for this film. But I think if maybe the one thing they were robbed about, not that I would want to start it any earlier is I would like to know more about Buck's relationship with his mother, because mm-hmm. I think that also lends right. a bit to that arrested development that he seems to be having. And it is, I don't know, it's it's such a hard thing because I, I think also, especially looking back at that time period, we're, you know, we're from a generation that still had to hide a bit of themselves. Mike White is from the previous generation of that. Mm-hmm. And nowadays we have a generation that like, except for what's happening legally, especially in places like Florida, uh-huh. we're... We're in a generation there. The generation now is currently very open about this stuff and doesn't have to hide this stuff. And I, I think that's also a huge damaging thing for Buck is that he's had this sort of sheltered, cloistered relationship with his mother, with his family. He stayed in his hometown and which is not to absolve him of any of these things because he crosses the line several times in the movie. But mm-hmm. it is one of those things where he's had to keep this relationship this love for chuck secret this entire time and that has festered you know and so when he finally does actually like fully spell it out for chuck you know when he's like you know like i i put my penis in your mouth and you put your penis in mine chuck and buck fucking suck uh it's the best line ever just it's it's so awkward to the point where it's really funny but slightly terrifying terrifying can she hear us? And, 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 <laughs> and, and that's and that's all because of you know the, this pressure that he's put on or society's put on him to like be like, well, this is the stuff that happens in secret. You know, this is not a normal relationship. Like this, you know, because he like checks first. He's like, can she hear us? Is she and, you know, the wife. Yeah. yeah. Is she asleep? Yeah, Carolyn. And and that's you know that's sort of where his the the emotional stuntedness of wanting to continue this relationship like it has to carry on in secret as well too and he it can't fully and and you're right charlie there's no hint that he's necessarily ashamed of who he is or, or what he's doing but there's also an element of like he does have to keep it buttoned up and kind of behind or at least the sexual part of it mm-hmm. um behind something like it, it can never be fully out there or in the truth um i don't know it's really fascinating and the only other thing i'll say too is uh as an adult watching it uh because i hadn't seen it since i was a teen uh i i think it's more than politeness that chuck is doing by inviting it because i do think the way that chris whites plays it is a bit like 
okay, I am being nice, but also like there's something more going on. And I'm, I'm very curious. I don't want to say like he's encouraging it, but there's like, I think for the average person at some point they would have cut this off. They'd have been like, okay, no more. Right. Like you're, you're scaring the people around me. You're scaring my wife. You're scaring my uh, assistant. Like, no, like, and he doesn't. And I think that that there's like an important deeper thing going on there for him because i don't Mm -hmm. think what happens in the end occurs with somebody who's not kind of trying to figure out you know a a better way of of this playing out in the end because there are ways to stop that without getting to the ending that we got right i'm happy we get the ending we get Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. it could have easily ended with like yeah restraining orders and stuff like that yeah which yeah Yeah, exactly exactly if that were the case he would have got a restraining order as soon as he saw he was in la Mm -hmm. be like this is fuck what are you doing yeah yeah um bryden finish us off yeah i had never seen this before i've weirdly seen some of me like half of miguel arteta's uh other movies uh one of the interesting sort of later parts of his career is like yeah he makes like kind of like cringe comedies also kind of like about people who are kind of finding their ways in life or also like arrested development types i mean cedar rapids with ed helms is kind of like about a guy who like has never left his hometown and then is you know he's like big boy in a new city like thinking oh what's oh what's this new hotel that i'm staying in um yeah but then like he also like directs like kids movies as like sort of one-off projects like he did like alexander and the terrible horrible no good very bad day which is like an adaptation of like a children's book uh uh-huh. really you can that... re- you you can remember that title but not the ted bundy title what, what's going on what's ah, going yes on? <laughs> <laughs> i had to review alexander and the terrible horrible no good very bad day and i can't tell you a thing that happens in it <laughs> yeah i don't I, I don't particularly like that movie and i also it's been so long that i'm since I've seen it, but I don't know where Arteta's uh, directorial imprint would be visible in that movie. I, it's just kind of like run-of-the-mill kid stuff, but you know, yeah. it's, it's innocuous. Um, yeah, but um, I had never seen this before. Really, really liked it a lot. Um, what's interesting is how easily this movie could like have not worked if like the tone was not just right. It's so interesting how it's able to walk between these right. sort of three. I mean, the, the scene that I was mm-hmm. talking about briefly with uh, Charlie on a, a call recently was... Um, the scene where uh, Mike, uh, where Buck confronts uh, Jamila, the, the the assistant played by uh, Maya Rudolph, outside like the office, there is like kind of like a the, it comes through in the film again. Also, Mike White's performance, how disruptive Buck's presence is, how he just like bursts into scenes like with no announcement and everything. Like when it's like Jamila just like mm-hmm. walking with the assistants, and then like it's like hey, you know, it comes up behind them, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. passing, and it's like yeah, goodness. like it's so startling, <laughs> and it is like funny in that cringe comedy sort of way, but then it becomes really sad where he's like saying, well, he's not busy. He just doesn't want to see me. And then he just starts crying and the, the scene doesn't, but the scene doesn't stop just there. It's also like the sensitivity with like the way the supporting characters treat Buck where Jamila, the my Rudolph character is genuinely concerned and like goes out to touch to like hug him and like comfort him. But then like, he just walks away. It's really mm-hmm. striking how the movie is amused by aspects of Buck's personality and how he is like, kind of a stunted adolescent and also has really no filter <laughs> it just really has like no like it doesn't really like pick up on like social cues of like when people, like a child yeah mm. when people don't like want to talk to him like when like the scene where he goes to see uh, chuck in his office and chuck tries to distract him by like showing oh this is the band i signed and then like buck saying yeah yeah uh, i really want to go back to hanging out with you like he just like, like so <laughs> yeah. single-minded in this um but like it does have like this surprising sensitivity uh towards 
him and humanity and it's, it's all in like white's performance too like there's like this like kind of nervous energy that really makes you feel for the characters there's one scene where he's being asked about like the origins of his play and like you can it's like just like he shot from like the shoulders up but you can see like from like the way his like body's moving like he's just like sort of like jittering like in the low like below the frame and everything it's like so it, it's really like fascinating to watch um but yeah it, it's it's it, and he's just like got such like a dry way of like saying like the most like inappropriate things like when he goes up to them at like uh his mom's funeral it's like hey you guys bored <laughs> just like, yeah <laughs> just trying to sound so relaxed but like so off yeah he's yeah, like and chuck is like oh you look the same and buck's like you don't you've gotten fatter yeah <laughs> yeah yes yeah. Um, oh my god yeah um i forgot to mention that um good, good it, for <laughs> i was just gonna say good for chuck for being secure enough because i've been like oh yeah <laughs> thanks for pointing that out i haven't thought about that today but now now i'm having a good time yeah uh i forgot to point out that um it also won the john cassavetes awards at the spirit awards which blair witch project also did so we've covered two of those nice Hopefully we can do more and yeah. I, I i can't remember is the cassavetes award is that for directing or for acting like is that focusing it's on? it's for best feature under five hundred thousand dollars gotcha yeah yeah there was there was a recent conversation about it on twitter the worst place to have a conversation uh-huh. uh, about like if they should abolish it because it encourages like people not getting paid a full wage and then you had all these filmmakers who were like actually like you do pay people a full wage and like maybe that's a you problem like- yeah. <laughs> yeah uh you can make movies underneath five hundred thousand dollars where people get paid um uh, hmm. yeah Sounds like people that uh, uh, are arm ch- armchair film people. Yeah. They're like, yep. wait a minute. It's not made for $300 million. How are these people supporting their family? Yeah. Uh, Anyways, I want you all to see my $500,000 uh, Iron Man movie that's coming out next week. I'd watch the fuck out of that. That'd be Hell great. Yeah. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, it also had a few other nominations in the Spirit Awards and also got a nominated at a Sundance Film Festival for Dramatic Grand Jury Prize. So yeah, um, we, we should talk about what happens in this movie. That'd be nice. Uh, Buck O'Brien, which I did not know that was his full name. It's pretty funny. Um, is a 27-year-old amateur playwright with the maturity level of an adolescence. When, Buck, when Buck's mother dies unexpectedly, he invites his close childhood friend Chuck to the funeral. Chuck is played by Chris White and Buck is Mike White. Uh, Chuck, who is now calling himself Charlie because he's cool, is a successful music industry exec with his fiance Carlin, played by Beth Colt. He and Buck experimented sexually with each other when they were 11, but Charlie has repressed these memories and acts as if they had not occurred. I feel like saying that in like the first paragraph kind of, because you don't really know that. You don't know that, yeah. Yeah, you don't know that until the infamous scene. Um... Chuck has moved away while they were still children, and Buck has pinned pined after him ever since. During their awkward reunion, Buck makes a sexual advance towards uh, Charlie in the bathroom. Charlie rebuffs him and returns to Los Angeles with Carlin, but not before extending an obligatory invitation for Buck to visit him there. Um, Chris Chris Weitz just plays this whole. You can tell, like like we were saying, like. He's not completely annoyed, but he's just like he he acts as if the way that we're just like, I hope you don't say what I think you might be going to say. I hope you don't don't mm-hmm. say too much. Please, please don't. <laughs> yeah. this, the scene where he invites them up to where 
uh, Buck invites them up to his room, both Carlin and uh, and Chuck. Like, and uh, it's so funny. Like the, the just the dialogue where he's like trying to get to his point without saying it. He says like, it, like they say like, oh, you should come out and visit us in L.A. It's it's great. I think Carlin says that, and then like Buck is like, oh, you live out there too. And it's like, yeah, we live together. It's like, <laughs> he like turns away and like it becomes like very introverted but then like puts Mm -hmm. on that record and it's like yeah you're right the discomfort where it's like they're smiling and like buck is like just like totally serene but then like uh carlin's like just sort of like looking at chuck like what is going on here and it's just like it's a very very strange smile yeah it it is also i I like that gavin you brought up the the we don't know what the relationship with his mother is because he is not sad or seemingly sad at all like he almost seems indifferent and is just excited to see Chuck or Charlie. Right. And it makes me wonder what their relationship was like. If it was like, because, you know, maybe something happened to stunt him. But like, it seems like she'd also be like, if he was living with her and he's still like this, he would, she either shamed him for being childlike or completely nurtured him to the point that he didn't have to grow, which is also damaging. And right. it is funny that, like, at his mother's funeral, he's just, like, like he's in the front row and he sees Charlie and he just smiles. Like, he's just, he, his face just beams up. And he doesn't uh-huh. cry at all until after he gets denied, uh, after he makes the the advance to Ch- Charlie. And that's the first time we see him cry, which I thought was mm-hmm. very telling. And it made me think this is a very explicit, like, th- like I bet. Mike White thought, do I go into the relationship with his mother or do I leave that out in the open because it would make my character's ticks and, uh, you know, like, would that would that shape him in a harmful way, I wonder, if he was right. more explicit about yeah. it. I, I think I think if you if you travel too far down that road, like showing it. Uh, it becomes a completely different movie. Yeah. But you're right. I, th- I think I think it's both ends of the spectrum. You're left sort of wondering. Yeah. And and obviously like on purpose. But I I mean I think that's quite a testament to Mike's Mike White's writing is that he he leaves those he leaves always enough open ended that you can fill in the blanks for yourself and only every now and then does it feel like I'm like oh just just a little more yeah. but that's <laughs> that's what he intends you know, mm-hmm. for you to get out of it as an audience. Yeah, the detail I love, like, during the opening credits scene is, like, while his mom's, like, coughing, like, her, like, hacking, coughing in, like, the other room, he's, like, showing, like, laying out his clothes, but then, like, he waits a moment and he just, like, sort of, like, knocks it over and, like, smiles to himself, like, that's his one act of rebellion that he that he allows himself, <laughs> and then uh-huh. And also the close-up of the letter that he writes to to Chuck is so funny where it's like, how are you? I'm okay, except my mom has died. Again, like, just like yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, 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 transition smoothly between the subjects. It's so funny. Oh. Yeah. yeah um, oh, goodness, what was I going to say? Yeah, I feel like if we were supposed to intimate anything about his mother, Mike White would have put something in there. So it's like, it's like we can, you know, pontificate about it but i feel like it's just we we get enough and also we get not enough to be like what is up with it because i feel like if they really spelled it out you would not feel as not really suspenseful but being like being like what what's up with this guy what is he gonna do with this scene you know what happened to him to make it you know that type of thing it keeps you on edge yeah you know they talk about i think it's like there's a line from chuck where he says like well his parents were nut jobs and everything and uh his dad wasn't really in the picture and i think i might be misremembering this uh from my notes and my 
memory of the movie, but I think when he goes to like Chuck's party, uh, he starts talking about like all the games he used to play. He says like, and then when uh, our, our, our parents, we got in trouble with our parents when we did, and then like Chuck just like leaves the room because it's like clearly about to be something that like <laughs> yeah. Feel. yeah. So like that maybe adds into like maybe that's like what they did when they were kids. Like uh, that's maybe like attached to like the parents' reactions to it. Maybe it's tied to like sort of the awkwardness with how like the characters deal with it. But it's again, it's like just suggested. Um, right. What was the other play they wrote? A Devil and the Reindeer, where they team up against Santa. Yeah, because they both have That's horns. That's yeah. So that yeah. logic is so yeah. funny. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, doesn't doesn't Buck say something about like, yeah, we were we were doing a play, but then uh, then Chuck's mom like didn't want me to didn't want him to hang out with me anymore or something like that. Where it's like, even that's probably not true. Maybe. She, you know you know that type of thing maybe that's the way he's compartmentalized it or something like that but uh anyways back to the plot buck then withdraws ten thousand dollars from his bank account which is a very funny scene uh packs up his car and takes up residence in the motel in los angeles um well because he calls charlie and charlie doesn't answer him back but he leaves a voicemail saying like oh we have people over this weekend but then next weekend i'm out of town but then uh you know what i'll just uh, i'll call you back uh, and let you know uh whenever and then it immediately cuts to him being like los angeles okay yeah i'm going um yeah um, he also begins scripting a play on a yellow legal pad titled hank and frank and the witch an <laughs> obvious plea for charlie's love um i don't know how anybody else feels i kind of feel like the only really detriment of the movie is i feel like the play is kind of not really that necessary i don't know like uh, I, it, it hmm. what do you think i i kind of like it because i love well i love the character that um lupe Ontiveros plays yeah. and i love how she can see right through this guy like everyone uh-huh. else has kind of been the get me the way from this person kind of mode but he, she's like if you're gonna hang around me you gotta pay me 25 dollars 20, an hour 25 dollars <laughs> an hour but then actually does start to sort of care about the craft of the play and like try and guide him and it's like you have weird issues with women you have weird issues with men this is like clearly some stunted man child thing but then tries to help him like cope in a way that that makes him act his age and she still can't get anything out of it even though and she's just like i don't know shit about directing i'm just you know i run the house so you know whatever okay um it did weirdly when the I know we haven't gotten to the play yet, but it made me think of the Dayman musical episode of Sunny in Philadelphia. It did. Um, <laughs> and I like how everyone in the play is like, we're so fucked. Like, I'm never showing this to my agent. I'm not putting this on my resume. Like, but mm-hmm. it, it, it does. I also do like that he's able to get away with it because his mom just died and he's fucking rich now. And this is all he cares about. So he's basically yeah. willing to throw his entire life away for this really awful and yes misogynistic play that that feels <laughs> honest i feel like it is i i was watching this movie going like oh if people like if people made this movie now people would think it's like kind of abhorrent because as gavin mentioned before like we've kind of now the way that people talk about queerness in film it needs to be more progressive and like i feel like what part of the reason why this movie works so much is it's such a 2000s time capsule but yeah. like I feel so like interesting. people, yeah. but I feel like people would be like, "Do we really need this representation right now? Is this really what we need?" And it's kind of like, "Well, it's honest." I kind of like it when it's I like honest and different. Yeah, like, I like films about queer people that can be awkward or creepy or even mean, which you know, fuck yeah. can. I think that's equally important. They can't all be 
gay best friends or oh, yeah. str- yeah. they're struggling with the same issues that of you know it what i like about it is it is kind of a coming out story but it also isn't it doesn't really fit into any sort of defining uh genre in or, or subgenre in queer film like i don't really know what you would put this up against when you compare it to something if that makes right. sense the wikipedia calls it a black comedy and i don't see that it's a it's a dramedy <laughs> i don't see how it's a black comedy not a black comedy like novocaine is but um it's yeah. like fringe Ugh. comedy if anything yeah like that, yeah like, like sort of like social awkwardness like that kind of thing um yeah it I think the key to this movie, like, you know, not being, like, offensive with, like, the play thing is, like, is having, like, you actually get to know the Carlin character who's, like, representing Mm -hmm. the play as Delilah. Um, You know, like, it's the the, the fact that she is, like, pretty accepting and the rest of the movie is, like, so sensitive towards, like, you know, Buck just being, like, okay, like, the problem isn't, like, you being queer. It's just, like, you need to, like, that, like, that relationship, like, just you know isn't going to happen now because like he's emotionally involved with me and everything like that's like that's it's fine like you but like uh, you know we do care for you as like a person and everything like that is like the movie is very it's very funny that we're covering this and it's uh it's two years before like van wilder and three years before boat trip which we just talked about like those movies are very regressive that's how i tell time you know before (laughs) before boat trip after van wilder yeah it's also funny that this is our episode following boat trip because (laughs) it's like but it's like night and day in terms of like how uh it it, like it is like so it's really like kind of accepting and like you know open-minded and like sensitive towards like these characters like feelings of turmoil and and like you know in in, like the the paul white's character who like you know that uh uh, buck makes it makes a pass at like yes the character is like wigs out when uh buck makes a pass at him but then like it's it's not that like he just like doesn't have like just because he doesn't reciprocate those feelings doesn't mean that like their friendship can't be possible and everything he's just like i just don't want to hump you but like we can be friends like it's it's totally fine like that's like that is like some movies would not even like have that where it's just like they it would just like have the characters wig out and that's all it would be um Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. yeah it's it's really interesting uh for sure as a as a a time yeah he's he's such an interesting character i know you haven't even gotten to him at the because he's like the most uh, like it makes sense he ends up in that play because he's the most misogynistic element of the movie as well too like every woman he meets he's like oh that bitch yeah like it's like good you came over because if you would have came over when that bitch across the hall was living here she would have been bitching about that you should move in because you wouldn't bitch like she bitches like he just says it all the time doesn't he also say i can't stand next to her i'll hit her which i was like jesus yeah. christ yeah <laughs> that's so funny too when he makes that suggestion you see in the background the one actor just like buries his face in his hand just like this yeah. fucking guy like can't stand yeah. working with him um back to the plot too shy to announce his presence right away buck starts trying to see charlie at his office at trimorph entertainment which it's a great fake name uh buck also surreptitiously follows charlie to find out where he lives while standing in front of the playhouse playhouse across the street from charlie's job he strikes up a conversation with beverly played by lupe on the house manager buck hires beverly to produce this play and cast sam played by paul weitz a talentless actor who bears a strong resemblance to charlie i wonder why uh, buck then works <laughs> up the nerve to approach charlie and his girlfriend after being invited to a party that charlie and carlene host buck becomes aware of just how far apart he and chuck have grown he feels rejected by charlie's new friends uh yeah uh, might be the it, it there's a another deleted scene that happens at this party i forget who he's talking to but it really just nails down just how 
alienated he feels from everybody and there's a few like kind of kind of deleted scenes like not like really things taken out mostly just scenes extended for a little bit but uh yeah it's just a great scene where he is trying to talk to people but the only thing he asks them is do you know where chuck is yeah and um (laughs) then he like is hanging he he approaches uh uh chuck talking with some people and literally just the mention of buck saying yeah when we were younger he was chuck and i was buck and we were chuck and buck and he's just like ha, ha, ha. oh god please don't say anything else please don't say anything else uh <laughs> yeah yeah and the filmmaking too i mean like just like to talk about like the look of this movie i mean i love um how like he like walks out like when um chuck greets him and he like says like, he says like oh do you need a drink and like it's clearly visible that like buck has a drink in his hand and like that chuck mm-hmm. is just like making like mindless party chat and then like he immediately leaves and then like buck like steps out in the back and it's like this like sort of like i don't know if it's like from like the the night sky or like the, the lights on at the party but like it's like he's just like casting this blue light that just like highlights how like melancholy and lonely his situation is as he's like isolated at this party and then when like he's leaving the the party chatter with like uh chuck's work friends like it holds on the scene a little bit and like you can hear like someone make a comment it's like look at that jacket like because like that's like something that like you know like buck is wearing like this like you know simple like white button-up shirt but also like this kind of like i guess vaguely dorky looking blue jacket and it's just like oh it's like the condescension like I, you feel yeah i mean yes this guy's socially clueless but you feel so bad for him like too at the same time it's yeah it Even is. little details, like the fact that he only orders rum and cokes as his drink. Like, can you <laughs> yeah. come up with a more, like, like it's, like, the sweetest possible drink you could possibly order. It's also the type of drink that, like, if a 10-year-old was, like, trying to I was drink, about to like, say, yeah, it's just, yeah. like, I've heard adults talk about those types of drinks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and the blow pops, obviously, that come up all the time. I mean... It's a blow pop lamp. <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> so weird. It's a weird... When you find out, too, what is going on what actually happened between them it makes it all the more kind of like like you know blow pop like yeah um but um yeah i agree with you brian and i know that um kevin you went into the cinematography it does feel like i i do like the look of this movie too even though i can imagine people watching it today and like uh, you know saying it looks like shit or something but it does i mean it does that's why i like it that's why it looks you it feels voyeuristic especially during that time like you feel like you're consistently you know in a situation that you should not be observing. Like it kind of is a movie that almost dares you not to leave the room and just stick with it. And then on top of that, I mean, he, I mean, maybe I don't remember what order it gets into, but like Buck at one point is just of keeping Tom watching them have sex. Which Twice. That's like, such a fucking, Oh my yeah, goodness. Which I and he's like eating. <laughs> I completely yeah, so forgot about that and was just like, Oh fuck. Like, <laughs> <laughs> just like that genuinely made me go like Ugh. <laughs> so I, b- I believe the scene you're looking for is my background right now i believe yeah that's what <laughs> yep, it is yep. yeah i just forgot where in the plot it was so i'm sorry if i uh skip that it's it's far. somewhere around there and also he's like not even trying to be sneaky like if they just looked vaguely in that direction oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you would see him um uh this plot description doesn't really get into the the more of the play of it all but uh he also hires you know two kids for, to play hank and frank in the play and he hangs out with one of them um where where it's so weird where he's just like hey you want a blow pop oh hold on mom mom can i have a blow pop oh, yeah it's like like no you're about to eat come on and you're just like oh i have them all the time my teeth aren't bad and it's goes to yeah. a close-up yeah. it's yeah. fucked up <laughs> uh, 
And then, yeah, and then the kid's just like, you want to blow up something? And then I guess the kid just doesn't know how to throw a firework after you light it, and it just blows up in his hand, and he's so, like, oh. Sometimes those fuses are real short, in defense of that child. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and it bl- and then he's out of the play because almost blew up his goddamn hand. And then, I don't know if they ever rehire any more kid actors, they just take it out. Yeah, they they, they make the adults. Y- yeah, yeah, they just decide. Oh, uh, that's, they just, okay. Yeah, and that's, that's, and that's why, like, uh, Paul White's, like, the, the character Sam is, like, asking, like, oh, so am I going to play it? Like, I'm just a little kid. And then there's, like, the, uh, uh, Bev, like, offers, like, the insults of by using the R word. And it's like, ah, right, the 2000s, right. So, but, uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. I, I do appreciate that scene where he almost blows up his hand because I think Beverly, the, the Lupe uh, Onaveros character, she provides context for him when she's like when we're around children we have to protect them Mm -hmm. and that's something that's clearly been missing from his life Mm -hmm. and so and and i think that like helps spur like maybe some growth even as minuscule as it is but it Mm -hmm. like i think i think that actually does affect him in a way that you know there's actually somebody that's taking the time to be like hey listen i can see through all of this but also like I need you to meet me halfway. Sometimes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was the scene though. When I was rewatching it, I was just like, I, I don't know if I'm bringing preconceived, no, but you are following a very stunted, very awkward. You don't know why he's acting this sort of way. And that scene is just like, what's going to happen, dude. And it's yeah, like, the, I, I think, I think the movie leaves room for that ambiguity. And I mean, I, I don't think it's wrong to feel that way. It, it, you, you're, you're constantly, the, the movie's constantly shifting your perception of what Buck is capable of. And I think mm-hmm. that's smart as well, because that keeps you as an audience interested. Because it's like, is he just beyond reproach? Is he going to do awful things? Or is he somebody that like, you know, like Charlie said, like he sometimes he knows he's pushing these boundaries. And you as an audience member sort of have to figure out like you know how what's next what's next yeah because yeah. i feel like if you just laid it all out and then you just be like oh he just wants to be with he just wants to be with chuck he's not going to do anything you're just like through the entire movie just being like oh boy what, what else is he gonna do because i also feel like <laughs> maybe if i rewatched it i'd feel wrong but when he uh confronts my rudolph's character outside it feels like he's like kind of putting on like being more sad than he is kind of like because i also feel like it also like at the start it's like he's kind of the person to use his mom's death as a way to get sympathy from chuck kind of you know uh i feel like the pain he's feeling is real but he knows how to weaponize it against her that's that's kind of what i mean yeah yeah um back to the plot he also becomes resentful of carlin um Ch- uh, Chuck's girlfriend, wife, which I forget. Fiance, they get married. That's right. Who he erroneously believes is interfering with their friendship. As a result of this mindset, Buck's behavior becomes increasingly erratic and obsessive. Um, this just skips to the ending. That's weird. Um, there's a great, 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 great scene where he apparently makes a collage out of them after he goes to the office and asks. Uh, my Rudolph's character to take a picture with him. He makes a photo collage of a bunch of photos and whatnot, and just brings it over to their house at like, I don't know, probably like 10 PM. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, is that the same scene where Chris White is like, Hey, fuck, 
Ever hear of using a phone? Like, yes, <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah, passive aggression that this, this movie gets is like so spawned on. <laughs> like, I, I mean, yeah. when I, I mean, enough when they first invite him to the party, it's like, oh, like, why didn't you remember to invite him to this uh, party? And, like, Carlin asks, like, Charlie is like, yeah, should have remembered. Like, as if like you yeah. should mention that, <laughs> right? Because yeah. I, because I think when he first runs into them, he's like, I thought you were uh, seeing your parents or whatever, and he's just like, uh, that 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 fell through. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, the New York trip they canceled, so I didn't go. But at the same yeah, time, that's is, right. Very much, it's not okay for him to just show up unannounced and be like, and basically, he knows that he's lying. Like Buck, Buck's smart enough to know that Charlie is lying, and that's kind of what he uses as. Uh, again, I'm using the word weaponizing. He's kind of weaponizing Charlie's sense of shame against him for lying. To mm-hmm. him. Right, because that that phone message he seems is is just peak uh oh i got this going and they but i'll reach out to he he's he's not gonna reach out to him yeah yeah um so yeah there's that great scene where um or he's like chuck do you want a drink or or buck do you want a drink he's like no he's like do you have any ice cream he's like (laughs) i i I think we do no okay it's it's carlin asks like you know do you want like i think she has like drink uh, a bagel or ice cream like she sort of like lands on that like as like sort of like faltering for an option and then he's like really and i'm like yeah like eating like the bowl's already finished and they're just like sitting there like waiting but but that's one of the things i mean about her character is i i love the way that she's painted she's so like so much smarter than i think most people write these sort of side characters in movies. She's she's like a well-rounded three-dimensional person, which makes it like, you know, better because then you're not, you're not trained as an audience to be like, Oh, the wife. Oh, oh my God. And I know she's his fiance, but like that sort of like, Oh, right. Cause she's not the person that, that buck believes. If anything, commenting on that type of character, since the whole play is basically a fantasy about murdering her. I mean, like, and it's (laughs) kind of like, you know, by making her that fully rounded person and, you know, making it about it, 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 not many comedies, today are that smart about this sort of thing and even she calls him uh i'm pretty sure it's implied that she's the one who contacts him to go to the diner with her and is like what's going on like right like we 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 talked about that briefly when you were when you moved away for a moment but like i love that scene that's like one of my favorite scenes in the movie is just just them Mm -hmm. and i think the only time she loses her cool is when they go see the play and then then she's finally like what the fuck yeah (laughs) which i completely justified yeah Yeah. completely justified um yeah and she never like uh chuck obviously has this passive aggression we're talking that she never has that and also feels like she's never met somebody from chuck's past at all so she's like seems like really interested in him so Mm -hmm. like like no matter what when he pops up she likes she's the one to be like oh chuck and he's just like hey or hey buck and he's and chuck is like oh hi buck how's how's it going what do what do you need you know (laughs) that type of thing um but yeah that scene that scene uh Eventually, he just eats his ice cream, and then he's just sitting there. <laughs> I love the cut, too, that, like, after it's already eaten, and then it cuts back to them sitting on the couch, and you know that they were just sitting there in silence for, like, yeah. a good several minutes of just, like, okay. like. <laughs> and then he's done, and then she's like, I guess I'm gonna go to bed. Yeah. And, then... yeah. <laughs> and Chuck is like, really? Like, he's, like, thinking, like, please don't abandon me. Yeah. Like, please, yeah. please. Yeah. 
But she does kind of have a point there where she's kind of like, well, there's clearly something going on between you two. I want to give you some space. And he's like, no, no, please, no. Like, (laughs) and it is interesting because, yeah, that's a good point that you bring up that she hasn't met anyone from his past because it seems like he's also like Buck is not ashamed of his past, but it has completely defined him. And Chuck is entirely just wanting to create this new persona in L.A., and mm-hmm. doesn't want to deal with it, and by not dealing with it in healthy ways, he too is, you know, forced to come to terms with this in ways that, you know, are mainly of Buck's awkwardness and, uh, you know, uh, boundary pushing, uh, you know, uh, methods. But at the same time, he is also kind of refusing to take it on, uh, refusing to confront it head on, and just continues to play games like I'm a good person. I'm going to be polite and basically just end this on my terms. But he's also, it's also damaging to himself in terms of him being able to move on with Car- uh, Carlin. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so Carlin goes to bed. There's also like a really like long shot of her like going up the stairs, going to bed. And then it's finally like, can she hear us? And then he's like, <laughs> we should play one of those games. Where I put my dick in your mouth, you put your dick in my mouth, a good old Chuck and Buck suck and fuck, which is a fantastic line. And then the cut to Chris White's is, could say a million words. Like, it's so phenomenal. And he was just like, I think you should leave. I'm serious, leave. Yeah. And, and then like the smile that, like, it's like Buck's, like, smiling. It's like a frozen smile. And then, like, it just melts as he realizes, like, this isn't going to go the way I want it to. It's like, oh. Right. Yeah, you're just like wincing as it goes. Yeah. So it it uh, I think like right after that he tries to contact him again. He's like, "Don't ever, don't ever talk to me ever again. I don't want to, don't want to see you." That's what Chuck says. Um, and then eventually he pretty much follows him to a bar where Chuck and a few other people are doing music talk and whatnot. And then he's like, "I know you said not to talk to me, but do you just give me like two minutes?" Um. And then they talk, and then he's like, if you just come back to my place, you know, et cetera, you know, I'll leave you alone and everything. And uh, the end of the film deals with both Chuck and Buck confronting each other over their past. The two have sex, and Buck wants Charlie to stay afterwards, but Charlie says they must part ways. Buck is distraught afterwards, but eventually realizes he has found a new life at the playhouse. When discussing a play over dinner with Beverly, Buck notices Charlie has arrived with Carlin. Chuck and Buck exchange glances across the room, but Buck ultimately disregards them and goes back to his conversation. Buck comes to the theater to find an invitation to the wedding. Buck arrives at the wedding party and offers the couple his blessings with his presence. Buck and Carlin make peace as Buck effectively move on from his obsession with Charlie and keep their sexual encounter a secret from Carlin. Well, that was what I wanted to ask. Is does I, I know the Wikipedia summary says that but we have no proof of that and carlin's right. smart like right because right, uh it it's like buck like sees him and then he's going back to the conversation and chuck is like staying on him and then eventually it's just like yeah and then it's like looking down at his food and carlin like keeps looking at him and it's like does she know or does she not know because it's like what happened because he was all over and then what what did y'all talk about it wasn't just oh i told him to leave me alone you know she's smart she knows does she know something happens who knows but and like the the conversations couples have behind closed doors like for for all we know she encouraged it yeah like yeah i mean i and i have no proof of that Mm -hmm. i have no you know that's wild conjecture but like for all we know she was like 
I don't know, go there if you're feeling this way, if he's feeling this way, like, have it, but be done with it, because we're getting fucking married. But once again, like, it's it's all it's all left ambiguous, and it's better for it, in all honesty. Yeah, yeah. If, they, if they even had an explicit, like, break where it was like, you go have sex with him, and then, that, exactly what you said, if we saw that, it wouldn't have as much power yeah. to it. Um, sorry, I cut you off, though, Bryden. No, it's fine. Um, I, I like um, Buck work finding a place at the Playhouse. It makes me think out oh, weirdly of um, another, the other Mike White script that we were talking about uh, that was mentioned at the start of the show with uh, School of Rock. How like that movie ends with like both like the kind of like Arrested Development like characters of like Jack Black and Mike White who like they still kind of like yearn for their music rock star days, but then they're like, well, maybe that won't happen for us. But like maybe we can pass it, help like shape the the future of the youth and like you know still find a way for our passion, but like help out other people and like that's like kind of like a sweet sort of. Uh, wrap up for both those uh, characters um or that, those right. characters um also with the orange county where like he eventually learns at the end he's like i don't need to go to college to be a big time writer or whatnot i can i can stay at home and make my own you know make my own uh, la or college or whatever you know type thing yeah um mm-hmm. do you what do you think about the, the ending i like I, for me like this is like where I like all the endings, but they do feel kind of just like a little bit cluttered. Like I feel like the ending at the restaurant that could easily just, that sort of has the rhythm of like it almost that... feels like it's the final scene, but then it just kind of keeps going with the wedding invitation. I like the wedding scene at the end where it is again Buck, you know, like on the road to to you know growing as a person, but still like struggling to make a conversation at the the wedding. But like ah, cake is so he's good. wearing a suit though. Yeah. He's wearing like adult clothing <laughs> yeah. now. Yeah, but it maybe just feels like a little bit like tacked on. Like I like again like both endings. It's just like maybe pick one or maybe adjust like the rhythm just to make it feel like it's more true I, I, it, um, it's a minor nitpick but like it, that's just like one it, thing it does about. feel a little tidy but i'm glad that especially considering like you think about queer films that were coming around around it ends on a happy note yeah yes which i which is kind of is that rare back in the day because usually i'm thinking of stuff like you know most of these movies kind of ended in tragedy i mean boys don't cry was a year before that and obviously that's based on brandon tina it was a real hate crime that happened and that was a very upsetting horrible story uh and, and i'm not saying like every you, you know it, it 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 gives you a wish fulfillment of like the the best possible way this could end realistically mm-hmm. while also feeling like it's a bit conventional and i i it i like it because it feels very satisfying to me in terms of like what i hope for every character in this film but i can understand people thinking it's a little contrived or that they would not even you know, invite him to the wedding or anything like that. But, right. But it is ultimately about, yeah, this, he's not stunted anymore and he's moving on, which, you know, it dares, I mean, it's a movie that dares you to have empathy for this person who, by all accounts, if you encountered them in a public space, you wouldn't want to get near them. And I, I guess what I was saying before, it's never mocking, the, the cringe comedy never comes from the fact that he is queer, it comes from a, a level of empathy for his shame and not being able to cope with it. And the fact that the movie ends on a hopeful note, you know, it 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 does feel appropriate to, for this type of film, because I think if it ended on like a darker, disturbing note or like something he dies or something horrible happens to him, that would have felt 
cool. Right, right. Yeah, and no. that's not what yeah. I'm asking for, by the way. I, like, I know right. I'm not saying oh, that's I what you think I, I, I think. I'm just yeah. clarifying. <laughs> yeah. I don't want yeah. them to end with a massacre yeah. or something. That would be awful, but yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, like, Buck kills Charlie, like, <laughs> yeah. on, on his Red's play like, set. like, I want him to blow up the, the wedding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. During the vows, he just reveals he's wearing a suicide bomber vest. Oh, God. We know that we've seen this ending, Brad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, like he, uh, he kills Chuck like on the stage of his play, and then like Beverly is just like scene, and then cut to credits. You know. Uh, but yeah, that's the uh, <laughs> that's the end of the movie. Good stuff. But yeah, like you were saying, like uh, even like the new queer cinema movement, which unfortunately didn't last that long in the early '90s, it was definitely deep in drama, deep in tragedy, stuff like that, uh, like Swoon, and uh, what was that movie you were talking about a few episodes ago, Charlie, about like a gay serial killer that I think uh, Parker Posey is in, right? Oh, shit. <laughs> Frisk? Is that what it's called? Frisk. I have not yes. seen Frisk. Frisk. Oh, yeah. yes. I mean, you you are right, though, and I think that um, I love all of the early Greg Rocky movies, but yeah, like usually if I, I think he's also, those are very angry films like doom generation. I think yeah, mild spoiler right. for that, but when anything it's hinted that the two of the characters are queer. And then when something queer happens, something horrible happens to the queer character in the strip in the uh, more hetero leaning people are fine. But I feel like he is making it very much a commentary on um, queer people yes. being depicted in film yes. as opposed to, you know, uh, like I'm trying to think of one that's like a terrible example uh, that like. I mean, think of like all the movies that they talk about in the cellular closet, where like how like that was yeah. like, the thing for so long. It's like, oh my gosh, like they're and I think Cisco and Ebert weirdly did an episode about like how like oh my gosh, like so many of these like gay characters in like these movies in like the 80s and 70s are just like getting, meeting like those most horrible horrible fates. And like yes, those are two yeah. straight critics talking about it, but it's like even they were like, goodness, like tone this down just a little like a little bit. Like we don't need to like go this route all the time. It's yeah. With like right. with the with the with the like violent ends and tragic ends. That's what I mean. They were yeah, ex- exactly. Um, I mean, even even something like I, I mean, I love Brokeback Mountain, but even Brokeback Mountain ends with one of them dying. Sorry, mm-hmm. mild spoilers. Yeah. I mean, I don't have a problem with that at all. <laughs> I love that movie, but it is like, um, it was a trick. I, I mean, I, I I think that's the the not to get too deep on that because that's another movie we were talking about. But I think that's the kind of the thesis of of the short story too is that like the that it's a it's a much darker which is not to say i do love that movie as well but yeah the the um that's like maybe the one thing i don't like about brokeback mountain is that like it's even more devastating because it's really about this person in a way similar to this that can't get on with their life after losing Mm -hmm. um this love of theirs so yeah but and i I do feel like the the movie scapegoats it just a tiny bit gives it a bit of the like catharsis that you're looking for in the Mm -hmm. the short story Mm -hmm. and the opera that's based on the short story that she wrote the libretta for both carry that in a little deeper about like oh well everything's fucked (laughs) it sucks forever yeah (laughs) another one that just came to mind is uh i like this movie a lot too but monster is like especially like uh based on true story again so like again again yeah yeah, exactly but those were the ones that were like getting like monster and boys don't cry were the ones that were getting most like attention and both actresses won oscars for their portrayals of actual queer people who you know had a horrible life and died and i like 
you know, I haven't seen Boys Don't Cry in a very long time. Uh, I'm right. kind of scared to revisit it. But it's I, it's yeah. complicated. Yeah. Yeah. It's a complicated yeah. time capsule of a movie. Uh, and yeah. uh, it's like, like, is Boys Don't Cry a good movie? Well, I have 19 caveats, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> that type of thing. Yeah. It's so, it, it, yeah. I think that it seems like during this day and age, I mean, it seems. It's also kind of a relief because you are squirming for about 95% of this movie and then you're finally allowed to be like, okay, everything's going to be fine. Like, everything's mm-hmm. going to be okay. Even if it's not the outcome that either of them wanted, it's going to be okay. So It also helps that it's so funny, like, so frequently. Yeah. Like, it's often oh, peppering yeah. it with, like, yes. really great punchlines. Is that, like, I think that's, like, sort of helps alleviate the discomfort, even though they are kind of, like, inextricably tied. Uh, yeah. Right. Um, I think final thoughts, at least for me, is... As, as far as we're talking about the ending, it just it's really relieving to see somebody who has latched onto something for 27 years and finally gets a release from it that like their entire life doesn't have to be like it's it's like I mean, it's just like a breakup pretty much, even though they were never together, quote unquote. But it's just like it, the fact that he is able to continue after this, it didn't break him. If anything, it made him finally open up and be able to do things and i think that's really awesome but yeah i i do feel like the most the the quote-unquote best and most impactful scene would have ended at that restaurant but i i'm able to let it let it go that it ends on such a positive note is the type of thing uh charlie do you have any final thoughts on chuckley and buckley uh not really but yeah i mean as someone who's had unrequited crushes on straight friends it definitely makes me feel seen in a way that i'm like i hope i'm not was never this uh odd or creepy at times uh but i do think that it it helps um even though i'm like 31 now even watching this you know a couple days ago revisiting it is kind of like it 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 does capture that you know as i've been saying this whole episode it really does capture how being so lovesick can emotionally stunt you and but there is like ultimately yeah you can move on like mm-hmm. god i'm getting so fucking mushy gushy but y- you know what i mean like I, it's I just, fine yeah <laughs> that's that's basically all i have to say <laughs> right and it shows the unrequited love and the lovesickness but not just melodramatic and really deep and whatnot it's just like how it can really mess with somebody and make them stay in a in a state of mind where all of that was intact and everything was good it's Mm -hmm. like why would i want to advance and live in this horrible reality where my mom is slowly dying and whatnot i would rather you know stay prepackaged whenever i was like 10 years old and i had a great friend and whatnot so Mm -hmm. yeah uh brian final thoughts yeah i was really just kind of struck by uh how like for like a movie that is like I, I think a, a classification as like a dark uh, comedy, like it, it is able to toe the line between like empathy and also kind of amusement at like its characters arrested development where like it views him as a human being who is like very ridiculous, but also feeling like very torrid emotions and not and, like navigating and like going between those like kind of different emotional registers without like severe whiplash. I feel like, you know, the discomfort and uh and comedy are both like it, it, the comedy and the drama are both rooted in like the same kind of like genuine emotion and pain uh that the movie's kind of like rooted in and i like 
you know, I guess I do feel like the ending is, like, maybe a little too neat. But then again, I also, like, was looking through my notes. I like the kind of, like, the small ambitions uh, of, like, the characters. Like, the, the smallness of, like, the characters achieving their ambitions. Like, Bev gets to, like, direct plays. But it's, like, you know, just, like, the local production of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. And, like, that's, like... And you know what? That is, like, a nice win for her. But it is, like, mm-hmm. small scale. And I, I, I... That's, like... That feels more uh, more true to, to life uh, than, like, you know... Than, like, going out to, like, you know, direct, you know, uh, a best-selling show. I, I don't know. I like I like that uh, that part of the movie. Um... But yeah, I really, really enjoyed this. I'm glad I got to catch up with it. Gavin, last thoughts? Um, I, I think it's interesting now that we're recently, not that it's a new conversation, but because of stuff that happened on Twitter recently, that we're sort of now having the conversation again about a universality versus specificity. And I think this movie falls perfectly into that because it is such a specific thing. And that's what makes it great. It's about a very specific person Mm -hmm. in a very specific situation, but universally everybody can, everybody's experienced a love that they've felt for somebody that's unrequited. That maybe had thoughts that are like, Oh boy, don't do that. Don't act on that. Mm -hmm. Uh Hopefully (laughs) they've stopped themselves from acting on it. And I, I, I think those, that's what makes this film so great is it's it's clearly uh very personal and very cathartic uh, but i think there's you know a, the audience should have an ability to latch onto it and and see these people for who they are because it is so well-rounded and so uh, smartly written and I do think the like oddness of the dv helps with that i don't know yes. how much mm-hmm. the you know that in person sort of how close it gets to them maybe would have worked on film. I mean, it, it certainly would be a very different looking movie and therefore probably a very different film in general. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's a, a quite a film that holds up a lot. And uh, I was, I was very happy to revisit it. Uh, now, now I'm wondering if it was shot on film and if it was like a uh, universal uh, focus feature movie at the time, like who would have played Chuck and Buck? Very curious. Oh, uh, what's his face from Power of the Dog? Cody Smith McPhee. Yeah, Cody Smith McPhee. Would have been Buck. 100%. That's pretty good. I also had like a weird thought of like, what if they just remade this movie, but with Clifford, with Martin Short's Clifford from Clifford? Yes. (laughs) Oh my God. I both hate you and love that. (laughs) Take my money. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Almost Major. Please rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. Please follow the pod on Twitter at Almost Major to keep up to date with what movies we will be covering in the future. Myself, I can be found on Twitter and Letterbox at Kev Bonesy. Bryden can be found on Twitter at Bryden Doyle and on Letterbox at J Doyle. Charlie can be found on Twitter and Letterbox at CT Nash91. Once again, thank you for listening.